Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God. His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Wednesday, May 11th, we are studying Acts chapter 7, verses 17 to 43. As Stephen continues his defense and proclamation before the Sanhedrin, he goes through God's grace shown to Israel through Moses and the exodus from Egypt, even as Israel rebelled against him. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Matt Wheatfelt. Pastor Wheatfelt serves as the Director of Admissions and the Director of the Christ Academy Program at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Pastor Wheatfelt, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thank you, Pastor Oppel. It's a great joy to be with you again today. Pastor Wheatfelt, how are things going there at the seminary? What kinds of events do you have coming up this summer? Absolutely. So uh, in regard to uh, events, we've got our high school Christ Academy program, our Timothy School and Phoebe School going on June 19th through July 2nd. And uh, so that's, again, a wonderful opportunity for high school students uh, from those exiting eighth grade and entering into high school in the fall to those who are exiting high school, entering college or the workforce in the fall to get a chance to spend two weeks on our campus uh, with like-minded Lutheran uh, students who might be interested in checking out what uh, pastoral or diaconal ministry might be, as well as being able to meet other Lutherans from around the world. We have students coming from Sweden and Norway, from the Dominican Republic, and from all over uh, the, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod this year, and it's going to be a great joy. So please go to our website, uh, register for that, ctsfw.edu. Uh, go to the admission event tab, and Christ Academy is right there. And if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to email us at Christ Academy, all one word, Christ Academy at ctsfw.edu. And for those who might be interested in um, just checking out the seminary in general, we uh, we have constantly going on plan your own visits. So go to our website and check that out as well. Awesome. Great events there, especially for those considering the pastoral or diaconal ministry for them to consider that uh, that school there, Timothy Phoebe School, ctsfw.edu, go there. Pastor Wheatfelt, we are in Acts 7 this morning, the middle of Stephen's sermon. What context should we know from the book of Acts and what Stephen's been saying to help us into the section we've got today? Absolutely. So when looking at Stephen's uh, speech, Stephen's sermon, I think, you know, the text, uh, the ESV text headlines this, Stephen's speech, you know, I think it is, it's it's appropriate to call it a, call it a sermon as well. Uh, Stephen, Stephen is a deacon within the church, and within the, the church's preview, preaching uh, f- falls under uh, both uh, within, within kind of the broader um, understanding, not necessarily a more narrow understanding of what we as the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod does, um, but preaching is one of those acts that both pastors and deacons are able to do, and you know, Stephen as a deacon is able to, to, to preach, and so calling it a sermon isn't necessarily the worst of things, uh, given in its context. So, um, looking at that, um, 
you know, we've got the we've got Jesus's ascension uh, uh, relayed through Luke um, in in uh, Acts chapter one, as well as Pentecost. Pentecost propels us into then um, the apostolic ministry, the apostles preaching, their teaching, their miracles, everything that they are doing. Really, John and Peter running side by side for a while before then um, then the council where James really becomes then the chief uh, bishop, leader of the church uh, there in Jerusalem. And um, then the apostles, knowing that they can't do all the work, again, a reason why I think it's appropriate to call this a sermon, uh, brings in fellow servants to help with the distribution of the of, of the needs of the people the, um, really uh, the word used there is diakonia table servants uh, where we get our word um, and our understanding of what deaconesses do not the preaching side obviously but the acts of mercy side um, that they are able to serve um, the people of God and in how the the ministry is carried out in way of acts of mercy whereas the pastors are given to then do the preaching and the teaching um, for for the people. So Stephen's one of those people that is is now that is going to go off and is going to um, be table serving alongside the apostles so that the apostles work doesn't get gummed up in the day to day um, workings that the church needs to be a part of as well, uh, that they need to uh, really assist the pastor uh, in in this way. And so Stephen then um, is then arrested. He is uh, seized by the by the Sanhedrin here, and now he's giving his speech. The first part of the speech uh, that we saw yesterday is Stephen then relaying um, kind of hitting the hitting the jews right at the right in the belt uh with with his words um talking about how the patriarchs how abraham and joseph uh really play into all of this and how um really they lined up and got the children of israel through the blessings of the lord into to egypt today we're going to see um, Moses and how that relates to the ministry that Stephen is doing and his being rejected uh, by the Jewish people. But I don't want to steal too much of our thunder before we get into the text. Sure, I do appreciate you bringing out what do we what do we consider this text from Stephen and whether or not it's a sermon and and less because of what that means in terms of, of who preaches and not. I think that's that's pretty exactly. clear from the scripture, but more from the from the standpoint of of what Stephen is doing here. And I do, it's, it's probably less a sermon in the sense of like, you know, I sit down during the week, I prepare a sermon that I'm going to preach on, yeah. on Sunday morning. This is really more Stephen being called to give an account of his faith an account. right there on the spot, less than a, a formal sermon as we think of it today. And so I do think that that's a helpful way for us to, to consider this text so that we don't think that this is something that like, any Christian couldn't do. I don't, I, mm-hmm. well, I could never do this. Well, Stephen couldn't either, except by the leading of the Holy spirit. This is, this is Jesus fulfilling his promise that he's made when you're brought before councils and, and people to give testimony, the Holy spirit will give you words and the Lord does that for Stephen. And so I think, yeah, a sermon in the sense that it's a long extended speech about 
the Lord and his work, yes, but not necessarily a sermon in the same sense of what your pastor does on a Sunday morning. I think that's a helpful distinction and help for us to helpful for us to consider. Absolutely. And it's it's definitely I think, yeah, given uh, given his station and given who he is, you know, he it, it is very helpful to make that distinction that it isn't necessarily. Yeah, he's standing before them with a well-crafted, thought out sermon uh, in the sense that your pastor does that today on a Sunday morning. No, he is giving his testimony uh, before the Sanhedrin uh, in in the way that the faith is being relayed or uh, through the Holy Spirit to him. The Lord is giving him the words in this moment, and it is, it is truly uh, magnificent how the Lord chooses to use this moment. And I think that's going to be a kind of a theme, um, both for, um, you know, look how he looks at the patriarchs before how he'll look at Moses today, um, that they, the Lord chose this appointed time to relay his grace and his mercy to his people. But what does it, what do his people continue to do? And the same thing goes for Stephen. The Lord has chosen this time and this place to relay his mercy through his son to his people. And what do his people choose to do? Again, we'll we'll see that here in a little bit. Yeah, yeah, and that is, I mean, I think that's the the theme that ties yesterday's text and today's together is that you see the Lord raising up someone. Yesterday, Joseph, I think, was that key figure that mm-hmm. the Lord raises up to do something for His people, but His people, by and large, reject it. So yesterday, you had Joseph. Today, Moses is going to stand in that in that place. And then, of course, the Lord Jesus himself. And then Stephen follows in the, the Lord's footsteps as well. So we're in that middle section. It's the, the longest section. It does center around Moses and the Exodus. Maybe just briefly, Pastor Wheatfelt, without getting into too much detail, how do we how do we outline this part of the, the text? Yeah, so outlining outlining this, you really see how Moses first I mean we first start with Moses's Moses's birth um and really and, and even before that how did the children of Israel get to Egypt um it's 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 through Joseph it's through uh, the Egyptians welcoming uh Joseph and his family but then and really what the Exodus how the Exodus begins the children became great in number and the king forgot about Joseph and about what Joseph did. And so then it, every, when, when, when these two things align, um, then everything goes awry for the children of Israel. So it goes through, we'll go through today, uh, Moses's beginning story, uh, his killing and, and fleeing from, um, from Egypt the burning bush incident with Moses's what I would call his commissioning, mm. his, uh, his his sending then off into service, his being set apart to serve, uh, if you will, and then um, then Moses's ultimately then how Moses was rejected by the people when he went up, went up Mount Sinai uh, to get the 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 Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, to to sit with the Lord, and how this then mirrors what is going on presently. Mm. All right, let's take a look at this text. We are in Acts chapter 7, picking up Stephen's speech now in verse 17. But as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. 
He dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. At this time, Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight. And he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. I think I'll, I'll pause there so that we don't take too much text. We can have a chance to digest that a little bit, Pastor Wheatfield. That's through verse 29. So we've got the, the first two parts of Moses' story. Again, this begins with what's happening to the children of Israel there in Egypt. Just rehearse some of this. This is what Stephen's doing. He's rehearsing the history. Help us to, to hear that history. And, and let's try to figure out what, what's Stephen doing in the way that he tells it as he goes through the exposing of the Hebrew babies and then how that applies to Moses. So the first thing Stephen does um, is he lines up what, you know, what, what he, he aligns himself with them. He shows, mm. Hey, I'm one of, I'm one yeah. of you. He's not an outsider. He's, he's part of the in uh, part of the in group who the Messiah has been sent to, or who, um, he, as as the, as the Sanhedrin would say, who he confesses to be the Messiah, uh, who they would not accept. So he is lining up along the same line. He's on the same team as them, and that's something to to be noted as well. He's not an outsider. They he's on he's 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 on the same team as them. So um, what what Stephen does here then is lays out you know the the great exoduser uh who is moses he's the one that helps the children of israel through this and it just lays out again his story uh his story so that he he can they can see their story is moses's story moses's story is their story and how that all comes to its full fruition so he breaks it down okay Remember when Joseph saved it, Egypt and everything was going great. And then uh, the king forgot about Moses or about Joseph, excuse me. And so what did he do? He dealt shrewdly with our race, with our people, with our kindred, with our forefathers. He was not he was not kind to them and forced them because that's what you do to slaves. Uh, you you work through force uh, to expose their infants, verse nineteen, so that they uh, would not be kept alive. I mean, that's that's a very clean way of saying he killed our brothers. He killed uh, he he not just our brothers. He killed them as they were infants uh, when they after they had exited exited <laughs> the womb. Uh, he yeah. he killed them basically instantly this was a very hard time for our people but moses 
at a time appointed as as the person appointed was saved Hmm. saved through water saved through the nile saved from pharaoh raised in pharaoh's own household and was 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 shared uh with uh or was given to pharaoh's daughter to be an adopted son Hmm. and so moses moses in a sense then uh, becomes an egyptian through that but it but there's more Hmm. because of that moses uh saw kind of both sides his heart pined for his people his heart went out to his people because he saw how his adopted people treated them and how they um so moses is really an outsider in in some way in both camps he's not fully an israelite even though he is born an israelite um but he doesn't grow up fully in the israelite community he's also not a born egyptian he's an adopted egyptian and so uh the egyptians as we see then in 23 and on uh they they don't treat him um kindly either they don't see him as as one who is really of them and um when he comes to the age of 40 so even after that age of you know when 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 uh typically in 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 the ancient world when one is respected and lauded at the age of 30 30, yeah around the age of 30 when when someone becomes a you know more more like a wise person uh, and is 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 it's the time you should be listening to them so he's he's been part of that that part of this uh egyptian community now for 40 years his heart still goes towards the the israelites uh, and and to to how they are being treated and um he then has to he then sees and kills um an egyptian man um and then has to then go and flee uh he it's interesting i i appreciate uh how um you know steven ties this all in together um where you know the 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 exodus text doesn't really make it sound like it makes it sound like almost immediately once moses kills the egyptian he leaves Mm -hmm. this makes it almost sound like and maybe and, and and this makes it sound like moses was sticking around for a little bit and it wasn't until his his crime is known Mm. then he goes and flees he's he's attached to the crime and then he goes and flees it's not that he does this out of some sort of righteous indignation of the the fleeing that is he does it because he's scared he's scared for his own life and he's scared to see what the egyptians are going to do Mm. and so he goes and he flees and he begins a new life uh in in uh, midian uh, taking into and becoming a father then of two sons and uh yeah it's 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 very interesting how Stephen ties this all together that hey don't forget uh it kind of like i think how matthew does it in the genealogy mm. um don't forget who your people really are yeah. they're murderers they're scandalizers they're adulterers i mean these this is the people that you are a part of don't forget that mm. i think what what's interesting about particularly the second section where he talks about moses killing the egyptian and the reaction is stephen gives you the the background of what's going on inside moses own thinking that's not yeah. there in the exodus text from exodus 2 
Here, Stephen says that Moses supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. So this, I mean, already there in in this section of of Stephen's speech, you see that there's some conflict between what Moses is up to and how the people receive him, which is going to become a bigger deal later as, as his speech continues. What's unique here, though, as you pointed out, we're going to come to Moses commissioning at the burning bush in the next section. That's not happened here yet. And so at, at this point, and, and I don't know that we can answer this one way or another, at least not certainly at this point, it doesn't seem that Moses is, is doing this at God's command. You know, this is his own thinking. He thinks that it's time to deliver God's people as it turns out. It's not. And, and with that, I do think that, that Stephen, he's not, you know, he was accused of blaspheming Moses back in chapter six. So I think that's one reason he spends mm-hmm. so long on Moses here is because he wants to assure them, no, I'm not blaspheming. As you said, I'm one of you. Moses is my guy too. So we're on the same team here, guys. I think that's one reason he spent so much time on Moses. So he's not speaking against Moses here, but I do think at least in these first two sections, he's very much emphasizing that what happened through Moses when it worked, that was what God was doing through Moses. And so this, I don't know if you want to think about this failed attempt at an Exodus here when Moses is 40 is because God's not yet ready to do that. He's waiting another 40 years. God's the one behind this. And I think that's an important thing for Stephen to get out in this part of his his speech as he comes to where he's going with Jesus. You know, God's the one who is behind Jesus. You've rejected him, but God is the one behind him. I think that's that's one of the themes in this part of Stephen's recounting of Moses' story that he's really getting at. God is the one who's at work here. And, and if you reject the human, you know, if you reject Moses, you're actually rejecting God. I think that's part of the foundation he's laying in this part of the sermon. Absolutely. And I think he's also, I, 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 to to kind of elaborate on one of the points you made of, of God not working at this, not necessarily not working, but Moses trying to take action into his own hands um, it, before it's God's appointed time. Notice how Moses does that. He does it through violence. He does it through force where when God comes in, he Moses originally comes to the Egyptians with really peace at mind. Let my people go. He doesn't come guns blazing. He doesn't come with ten plagues. He comes. Let my people go. And if Pharaoh's heart wouldn't have hardened, if Pharaoh wouldn't have hardened his heart towards that message and towards God. Could this have ended differently? Mm. Uh, I mean, that's it's you know pious speculation. It says possibly, absolutely. Why? Why wouldn't it? Because Moses originally comes in peace. Mm. It isn't until later. Is it until the Pharaoh rejects what the Lord, the word of the Lord, that there is a there is a consequence to that? Mm. Right, and I mean even even there, you know what what does come the 10 plagues that is the Lord's doing not Moses yes, is doing. <laughs> and so when, when he does come to Egypt later in Exodus five and, and following that's him letting the Lord take the vengeance. Whereas in this case, it seems he's the one taking the vengeance. He's, he's gotten ahead of himself and ahead of the Lord here. And so, yeah, I think that's one of the things the other, and I think it, it does. There's something in, in Moses birth account as well that I think echoes that same thing that God's the one at, 
is at work. And it's through the, the bit of irony that Moses, when he was exposed, actually got adopted into Pharaoh's household by Pharaoh's yeah. own daughter. I mean, that's, that's always just struck me as one of the most ironic moments of the whole Exodus narrative that the daughter of the person who said, kill all the Hebrew babies she's the one that actually adopts one of the Hebrew babies and, and there, and, man, that's the Lord at work. And the Hebrew baby that's going to bring about yes. the exodus of the people. <laughs> now, now, it is, it, that has always struck me as well that it's, you know, Moses growing up in the household of Pharaoh uh, in, uh, as his, as the adopted, as basically his adopted grandson mm-hmm. is the one who ultimately brings to right the children of the the plight mm-hmm. of the children of Israel um, on the Lord's behalf. It's like it could if it could have been anyone, you never would have seen uh, it coming right. <laughs> as it being Moses. <laughs> right, and and in this context, I think that that's a. I'm just trying to think about how that hits the hearer's ears or what maybe Stephen is, is thinking here that in this context, it is a reminder to those who would set themselves against the Lord that he will ultimately work his will, even, even through their attempts to stop him. And of course that would be in, in the case of the Sanhedrin, that would be the crucifixion of Jesus, even yeah. in their worst attempts to stop the Lord, the Lord will somehow through them even work his will. And I think that's one of the, I mean, there's a, a, maybe a hidden warning here for the Sanhedrin in that note. Remember what the Lord did through Pharaoh's daughter. He took what his enemy had planned for evil and he turned it into his greatest good. Absolutely. And he, he, and it is good regardless of how, you had intended this, the Lord worked for good. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, you know, that, that that's the tie-in from the Joseph narrative that we saw yesterday and yeah. and and how the Lord will continue to to do this for the people, uh for his chosen people. And he chooses people not based on on their blood anymore, but cho- by the blood of his son. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And that's the point that Stephen continues to make here in this sermon as he rehearses the history of the people of Israel. We're going to pick up more of his speech on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking Acts chapter 7 with Pastor Matt Wheatfelt. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Wednesday, May 11th. We're studying Acts chapter 7, verses 17 to 43 with Pastor Matt Wheatfelt. He is the Director of Admissions and the Director of the Christ Academy Program at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Pastor Wheatfelt, prior to the break, we looked at the first part of this section. Stephen has taken us so far through Moses' birth and his fleeing from Egypt because he had killed an Egyptian. And so now we pick up that story. He's gone into exile. He's got two sons. Now we come to Moses' commissioning. We're beginning again in verse 30 of the text. 
Now, when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him, to Moses, in the wilderness of Mount Sinai, in a a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. And as he drew near to look, there came the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, take off the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their groaning, and I have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for forty years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He received living oracles to give to us. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside. And in their hearts, they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who led us out from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. But God turned away and gave them over to worship the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring to me slain beasts and sacrifices during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tent of Moloch, and the star of your God, Rephon, the images that you made to worship, and I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. That's the end of our section for today. That takes us through Acts 7, verse 43. So Pastor Wheat felt the, the first part of this section is the commissioning of Moses. What, is, what does Stephen point out in the commissioning of Moses there in verses 30 to 34? I think he, he's trying to point out uh, essentially what we, were, what we were kind of talking about before the break, it's at the Lord's timing. Hmm. It's at the Lord's timing that this is all going to happen. Moses is 40, um, or sorry, Moses is 80, <laughs> 40 plus 40. If I could do math, um, that'd be helpful. Um, he, Moses is 80. Um, at, at the age of 80, most of us are thinking, uh, if we haven't already done so, of winding down, of ending our careers, of, you know, where we're thinking of just taking it easy. <laughs> um, but this is when this is when Moses gets his real start as the leader of the children of Israel. This is when Moses is propelled off into uh, his 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 leadership of of, of them. And it's at the Lord's timing. It's not at our timing. It's at the Lord's timing because Moses wanted to start this 40 years ago. Again, as we heard at the, at the end of the break or before the break. So the Lord um, calls Moses through one of his angels, his messengers, and tells him that he is his God. He is the God of his fathers, of Abraham, Isaac, of Jacob, and Moses, rightfully so, is in fear and trembling. And it just, he goes on to recount then the, the taking off of the sandals, you're on holy ground. But then he sends him in verse uh, 34 at the end, uh, could be 34b, and now um, come, I send you to Egypt. The Lord, just like what he has done for, uh, the, for, well, for Christ, he has sent him. 
He so then calls disciples and changes them into apostles, sent ones. And he, he does that for uh, time and time again for the people who he chooses to work through for a given time and in a given and at a, a specific and appointed time and at the right time. And so he's, he's simply, Stephen, showing us now is the appointed time. Now is the time of God's choosing, mm. whether it was Joseph, whether it was Moses, whether it's me. Now is the time, and the Lord is going to do great works regardless of how the people who he takes that message to uh, receives that. The Egyptians do not receive it, namely Pharaoh does not receive it well. The children of Israel, after they've seen the mighty works of the Lord, turn back uh, to focus on what it is that they had in Egypt. You know, the the piece, the, the piece that's even more uh, starkly uh, opposed to the goodness of the Lord coming out of the children of Israel's mouth that Stephen doesn't talk about is there is the children's uh, children of Israel's thinking back towards the food that they had in Egypt, how they, how they, how they pined for uh, the mil- for the melons and the leeks and the, the meat pots. <laughs> and it's like, but the Lord is giving you such a, such a great abundance. He no longer are you in slavery, but all you can think about, all you can think with is your stomachs. Mm. Like, can you not remember the backbreaking work, the beatings, the, the and, and, and the like, that you endured there how can you simply think about the food or uh, specifically here how how can you think about the gods of egypt how can you think about um those who are not the one true god and can you not see that the lord not only destroyed uh, has taken you out of egypt but he has destroyed the 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 army of pharaoh in the red sea can you are you are we that daft to not be able to say we have the true god you know the pharaoh pharaoh was proclaimed to be a god and yet our god uh, the god of abraham of 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 J- of of isaac and jacob is the one who has destroyed his armies his hosts in the red sea clearly our god is much more powerful than this earthly god that is the pharaoh i think this in this section those those contrasts are so important again because of what the people to whom stephen is speaking have done to jesus and the way that they've rejected him and and in this section particularly i mean in verses 30 to 34 stephen goes to great lengths to quote the voice of the lord from the bush to moses so that the the people listening would have no doubt, and, and they know this, they know this, but it's a, a perfect reminder that the Lord himself is the one who sent Moses, so that when the people reject Moses later, and they do so in ways that, you know, especially for us looking back on this 3,500 years almost later, it's, it seems laughable. How, how could, like, do you really think that your time in Egypt was that great that you want to go back? I mean, it, we, we laugh at it because it just seems so ridiculous, but that's what they were saying. I think that's, that's part of the point that Stephen wants to get across to the Sanhedrin here is that, you know, look how 
Look how far they fell and how quickly they fell from what should have been obvious. You are doing the same thing with Jesus. I mean, and that's, that's, I think, the move that he's really trying to make with this recounting is, is to show them, you know, again, I'm not the one blaspheming Moses and God. You are because you've rejected Jesus. I think that's really a big part of the force behind his, his words here. Absolutely. And, you know, him trying to show them, do not, you know, through scripture, do not repeat what, what don't become Egypt. Don't become the hard hearted children of Israel either. Mm. Like no one, no one, but God and his appointed is kind of innocent in this. And, And at the end, you know, even with even with Moses, so no one but God is innocent in all of this. Moses has his shortcomings and his failures. But what the difference between the way that the Lord works with with Egypt, the way that the Lord works with the children of Israel uh, who 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 do not uh, repent um, is death and destruction. But to the children who have repented, to Moses who repents. God can, I mean, there, there are, there are, there are problems. There are consequences. There's the word uh, to what happens. Moses isn't allowed to enter into the promised land, but he isn't rejected. He isn't rejected by God as these people reject uh, are rejecting God and have reject are and the Sanhedrin at the present are rejecting Christ and what he gives as their true Messiah. So Stephen's words are a call to repentance. Um, and I, you know, it's a, it's a call that, you know, we must hearken uh, ourselves as well. Uh, repent uh, for the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe uh, in the gospel. Hmm. As he, as he gets into verses 35 and following, you get this, and I think the ESV does a nice job of, of translating here and getting across what I think is the rhetorical effect that comes through pretty well in the Greek. In verse 35, you get this Moses, and then later in that, that same verse, this man. Mm-hmm. And then verses 36, 37, and 38 all s- start similarly. This man, this is man. the Moses, this is the one, over and over again, you know, emphasizing this Moses, the one that heard the Lord and was called by the Lord in that burning bush. This is the one who did all these things and then who was rejected. I mean, that and that emphasis on this is the man, this is the man, this is the man over and over again. It's almost like Stephen was, and maybe here I'm, I'm thinking like a, a preacher, <laughs> and I don't know if this is, but it's almost like Stephen was setting himself up to talk about Jesus that like that later on, yeah. and he didn't get the chance because they, they stoned him. They stoned him, uh, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that's that's part of what, what's going on here is, you see, you know, look, this Moses, that one to whom the Lord spoke, he's definitely the one God called, but he's the one that the people rejected. And then again, because they rejected, like they rejected Moses. So you Sanhedrin today are rejecting Jesus. And I think it's, it's no accident as Stephen goes through the various things. One of the things that he, he brings out is in, let's see, verse 37. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. That's a, that's a quote from, from Deuteronomy 18. And it was used mm-hmm. previously in the book of Acts by, let's see, I think St. Peter brought that, that text up in Acts chapter 3. And now Stephen uses it here. And what, what's striking to me is that as in Stephen's speech, that's 
out of order because the the book of Deuteronomy, you know, comes after all the Mount Sinai stuff. But Stephen kind of sticks it right there in the middle. I mean, that verse is talking about Jesus. And I think it's it's no accident that he puts it there as a, as a way for them, again, to hear, just like the fathers rejected Moses, you are rejecting Jesus. But, and you've been pointing this very well, it's not too late. Repent now so that you don't follow down the, the path of your fathers. I appreciate what um, Stephen does here. And I think, yeah, you're, you're spot on with the the you know deuteronomy happening after um you know thinking about the way that the hebrews think and talk and and um and teach it's very secular how it just keeps saying it keeps swinging swinging around and around and around and so he's hitting different things from different times in order to convey one whole message um that is you know a message of you know repent it's not it's not it's not the time isn't isn't over yet you still have time and i do i would agree you you made a brilliant point earlier i think yeah he he is getting ready to line up everything pointing at jesus but the ears of the sanhedrin can't take it anymore um because i mean they they i mean ultimately they end up stoning him i mean it's that that's where it ends but um you know he's he is getting ready to make this brilliant connection and the people can't take it. They just can't. They 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 just can't hear it. Uh, it it it's hit them too too close to home. And so, what do what do people do in moments like that? They they either I mean it's it's either fight or flight, and they choose to fight and turn into a mob and kill kill the one man. Mm, yeah, I mean it's it's like they know where he's going to go. And he does he does before they stone him, he does say I see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the son of God. Yeah. And it's at that point where they're they've had enough and they they stop their ears and they they begin to throw the stones at him. But yeah, I mean it's it, it's like they know where he's going to go and they don't want to listen to that. They yeah. they don't want to I mean they they've been with Stephen perhaps for a little ways here, but they they don't want to make the connection that what happened with Joseph, what happened with Moses, as we'll see in, in tomorrow's text, what happens with the temple, they don't want to connect all those things to Jesus. And that's where Stephen is, is going to go, because that's what the Lord has himself has taught Stephen and, and the apostles, that all the scriptures are all about him. But they the, the Sanhedrin won't believe that. And so, yeah, I mean, their only choice at this point, unless they repent, which is not the, the choice they end up making. Their only choice is to, to stone Stephen. But it, it's, a, I mean, it is a marvelously crafted speech, again, through the work of the Holy Spirit in Stephen. Well, what about these? this last part of the, the text has this uh, quote from the Old Testament. I believe it's from the prophet Amos, which Amos doesn't always get a, a ton of quotes in the New Testament, but there's a couple in the book of Acts, and this is one of them. Uh, what's going on with those verses 42 and 43, where, where Stephen quotes there from Amos 5? Again, I think he's he's being like a good uh, Hebrew teacher uh, and and kind of lining things up and showing how you know this um, this from the Exodus and the account of Moses lines up very well with what Amos is teaching as well and uh, how that all how this all works together and plays out in in order to show 
this isn't the only time <laughs> that, that you, as the children of Israel, have uh, fallen away from who the Lord is and what he has done uh, for you as well. So this isn't, this isn't a one-and-done thing. This is um, something that has happened time and time and time again. And what you, you ought to repent. Um, for what what you are doing is not good. What you what you have done to uh, the prophets who are before or to Moses uh, in in the rejecting of him and the prophets uh, who are before him and all of that is was not good and is not how that you as the children of Israel should should live. And so um, he you know he takes he takes this little bit um, and and. And I think especially um, lines up in verse forty-three uh, the, uh, the the two uh, you know the two false gods of of Babylon and 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 in many and in and in this way connects them specifically to what the children of Israel were doing um, in uh, at Mount Sinai when they built when they had Aaron build the golden calf. This isn't a neutral thing. This is just as bad as when, uh, as, as the prophets um, letting uh, letting people, um, well, no, the prophets preaching against um, the, the false worship of whether it be from Babylon, Assyria, Egypt, whatever it is. That's something that the children of Israel will continue to do time and time again. They have the one true God, but what do they do? Like a dog to its vomit, keep going back to the false gods uh and and that's why they can't you know when when israel enters into the promised land they're called to conquer the people because they can't they, they are a people set apart they aren't intended to live with the false religion because god knows what that's going to do to them mm-hmm. he does it out of love and out of out of charity uh, uh for for that for 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 his people so Saying all that, um, the Lord has set his people apart um, to be in the world and not of the world, but also knowing how hard, and you can look at today, uh, how hard it is and how um, how persecutory this world is to the gospel, to the person of Jesus Christ, and how it is a scandal um, the gospel is a true scandal to him or to to the world as a stumbling block, uh, as a stumbling block to the Jews and a scandal to the rest of the world. And, you know, I think this is a great message of preparation for us as well. Like, know, know that you know, Stephen was stoned. The martyrs uh, with him and, and after him were, were, were killed. Martyrs today are being killed day after day um and the the persecution um you know you can call it soft persecution even into even now of christians is becoming more and more and will become heavier and heavier and heavier and stronger and stronger be ready Hmm. be ready like and in some ways like the children of israel um at, at that passover evening had to be ready with 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 shoes on feet with 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 cloaks over themselves with staffs ready with 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 a meal ready to eat and um and ready to go 
be ready because this is coming for us. Mm. Uh, you know, it's it's striking as he concludes this section. I, I think that this is where they really start to grind their teeth, you know, as, as the expression will go later, that he starts to, to connect the idolatry with what happened at the golden calf, what happened later in the history of Israel. And he's, I think he's setting the stage for what we'll look at tomorrow as he talks about the temple and the tabernacle and their use. And I mean, you can, you can, as they're connecting the dots that Stephen is connecting for them, that he's telling them you're committing idolatry right now by, by rejecting Jesus, you're actually committing idolatry. That's, mm-hmm. I mean, that's a really offensive message to the people listening to, to say to the people who are saying, Oh, well we have the temple and he's saying, no, but you're committing idolatry there. Well, you talk about an offensive message. That's, that's what happens when you start to point out people's idols and the things that they trust in. And you tell them those things are not actually going to save you. They, they get upset at that. And I think that's the point you're making. And and rightly so that, that as, as Christians today, we, we should always be ready for that. That when we follow in the the steps of Stephen and proclaim the one true God as he revealed himself in his son, Jesus Christ, crucified and risen, and that knocks down every other idol, we need to be prepared for the rejection that that is likely to come because it it certainly happened to Stephen and and we shouldn't be surprised when it happens to us. We should be, be ready. Absolutely. We've got to be ready. We've got to be prepared. We've got to be able to see you know, we, I, in many ways, <laughs> with the the Lord, the Lord gives us brains and uh, eyes and senses for this purpose, so that we aren't caught off guard. We've been able to see how um, how how our forefathers have been treated, and we we can see the tide coming. Be ready. We're not called to. Um, fight in the way that, um, you know, and in the way that, uh, you know, the world would fight, but we're called to make the true confession. We're called to preach the gospel in season and out of season, knowing that it's the Holy Spirit that's going to give us the words at the time appointed for the task that is at hand. And that task that is, 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 that is at hand is going to may, may be, you know, our our, our persecution will be our persecution, maybe our death um, because of it. Our church just celebrated um, confirmation, um, not last Sunday, but two Sundays ago. And it always strikes me that, you know, we're asking, so our church, our church does um, a confirmation at whatever age the parents feel comfortable. So it's not a set, but even if it's eighth grade, we're asking eighth graders, 13, 14 year olds, will you stay faithful? Will you commit to staying faithful to the faith, even to the point of death? And what do they say with the help of God? It is only through the help of God that we are able to remain faithful and 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 see this through he is the one who has begun the good work in us and he is the one that will bring it to completion at the day of his choosing and it is only through him our whenever we try whenever whether it was moses whether it was um anyone else along along the 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 history of the bible tries to do things their own way it always ends up 
poorly, whether it's Moses killing the Egyptian before his his ultimate commissioning, whether it's Moses striking the rock um, in in the wilderness when the Lord told him to speak to the rock, um, whether it, it, whatever it is, whenever we try to take things into our own hands, it always goes awry. But the Lord who is faithful will see things through for us and will continue to send us his Holy Spirit and continue to 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 help us along the path uh, of this of this life um, to the day um, when he calls us to be at home with him in heaven. It is it is confirmation season in much of the Missouri Synod right now. We had confirmation here at Grace uh, very recently as well. And I I do that that last question that you ask. I I will and the answer I will by the grace of God or I do by the grace of God is is just a fantastic reminder to all of us. That, that to be ready and to, to know the importance of that Christian faith that the Holy Spirit has given us, that that above all else is the most valuable thing. So with, with that in mind, it being confirmation season, maybe we were confirmed years ago or newly confirmed. Pastor Wheatfield, help us to, to wrap this up and, and to see Stephen as an example to us of giving that good confession. Absolutely. So whether, yeah, again, whether, whether you were just confirmed, whether you were confirmed a season or 10 seasons ago, um, you know, Stephen gives us a fantastic example of making, making the good confession. What are Stephen's words? Stephen's words come from scripture. He is relaying the facts of scripture, the, the, of the facts of the faith out for the people and what happens when the people hear those i mean this is god's this is god's in crowd if you will these are god's chosen people and when they're hit with the reality that is the faith that is scripture they recoil against it that's god's in people that's god's chosen these are the people who have grown up in the scriptures imagine what's going to happen when you speak the words of god to people who have outrightly rejected it people whether they are um atheists whether they are of another faith uh, whether it's islam or something else whether it's even that group of uh this growing group called the nuns um they when they get hit with the word of god they are going to recoil against it and even faster than the the sanhedrin picked up stones to stone stephen they're going to come out after us but we have a God who has promised that he will never leave us nor forsake us. He, we have a God who gives us his Holy Spirit. We have a God who has given his only begotten son to die for your sins. So your sins are forgiven. You have his Holy Spirit. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And he will be there with you to the end, regardless of how that end is. Um, I recently, um, a, a pastor friend posted on Facebook just how, you know, a, an infography of the way that all of the disciples, all of the apostles um, died. And it was only one of the apostles, John, who lived out his life in exile, but lived to a nice old age. The other apostles were all killed uh, we're all martyred and that martyr word um just as a reminder um it comes from the greek martyreo of witness to make a confession to say the same thing that the lord says um about who he is and who who we are in him that we have been forgiven and that the lord ultimately comes to forgive the whole of the world 
Um, and so we must, um, through his Holy Spirit, repent and believe in the gospel. Pastor Matt Wheatfelt is the director of admissions and the director of the Christ Academy program at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana, helping us today with Acts chapter 7, verses 17 to 43. Pastor Wheatfelt, thanks for being our guest today. Oh, my pleasure, Pastor Apple. Always a joy to be with you. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about Acts chapter 7, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or use the open mic feature on the app. You can send up to a 60-second message to us, and we always love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow. Tomorrow.